welcome to round 11 of Don the Stat. As always, uh, Jonathan Walsh here coming in live from uh, my spare bedroom. And welcome to my co-host, Ian Hume, who we've uh, we've dragged off the sick bed this week. Humey, how are you, mate? You um, recovering from the man flu? Yes, I'm, I'm slowly been making my way up this week from hours in bed to, you know, slowly zombily walking around and, you know, sitting sitting at the front of the classroom and, and pretending to pretending to teach. Quite lucky that they've all been doing assessments this week. So I have made it to Don the Stat. Uh, I don't know how uh, how deep some of my insight's gonna be this week. I think it's gonna be a bit shallower than usual. Uh, so you might have to do a bit of the heavy lifting tonight, Jono. More so um, than usual. <laughs> yeah, well to be honest Mate, I've had a, a, a unfortunately for both of us, Don the Stats not quite paying the mortgage yet. So um, I've had a massive week with work. So yeah, I'm a little bit underbaked as I'd I'd normally like to be. Plus, um, your uh, for all your footy nuffiness and and love of a good start, you're probably an even bigger politics nuffy. So you've been a bit um, a bit preoccupied by by the federal election. So. Uh, yeah, I did. Um, uh, yeah, I've had a bit of a heavy week, mate, but um, but managed to get a little bit of research in. So we'll uh, we'll see how we go. And, and there's been for a bit of a change, I guess, a little bit of good news around the club this week, which has been good. Um, Langford re-signed for four years, which uh, I mean, instinctively, I mean, great that he's re-signed. He's a he's a, an important player who we're desperately missing. Four years probably seems a little bit overs, but I guess that's the world of free agency that we live in now, isn't it? That that players coming out of contract at that stage can probably ask for a little bit more, but I think more importantly, Reid signed for three years. And I think we're other than McGrath, who for the first two times he came out of contract re-signed like really late, like October time. So he he is a wait till the season's over, concentrate on footy type. And then Cox, I think is the only other real main one, um, so, you know, maybe things on the inside aren't as bad as um, as what people, particularly in the media, like to say um, about us externally. What do you think? Well, I agree. I mean, we saw a couple of years ago, the 2020 season, you know, with, with Danaher and, and Fantasia and, and Saad not re-signing, you know, that, those, sort of, those sort of things that can sort of build in a club and that just creates extra pressure when you're already dealing with, you know, performance issues and, and structural structural issues. So the fact that players are signing, you know, suggests that the, the club is in a decent spot, uh, despite what the on-field results say. So only, only positives, as you say, McGrath and Cox, you know, the rest the rest will play out. Most of the rest are role players uh, or players towards the end that are on one-year one year deals. So, you know, we get McGrath and Cox signed up, get a mid-season draft pick next week, you know, and start, start looking to the future there. Yeah, I think Heppel and Hurley are the only free agents that haven't signed and you know probably don't expect Hurley to play on next year and and Heppel you know you wouldn't expect that that he'd be getting too much interest ex- elsewhere anyway so I think yeah that that sort of things is coming together um and mate what do we take out of the Tigers game last week well we we really wanted to see Ridley on Lynch and then obviously Ridley was a was a late out. We thought that Ridley could could handle the type of play that Lynch was. So, but it did give us the opportunity of seeing Reed uh, play on Lynch most most of the time. Now Lynch does kick no goals for, so it could have been a lot worse. But I don't think Reed looked out of place. I think he demonstrated that he's got the nous uh, and the talent to play on those those quality forwards. Yeah, I I agree, mate. I think um, 
you know, he didn't look out of place at all. And I think that game, Lynch had been in really, really good form as well coming into it. So, um, you know, even if you kick four straight to sort of hold him to four scoring shots or four shots on goal, I think it's a bit of a win. Um, and yeah, I reckon that's sort of like worth 10 or 15 games in terms of his development. You can, you can bring these kids in and play them on the third tall or the resting ruck or whatever. And they kind of get some experience under their belt that way. But to, for him to be able to take on one of the game's key best key forwards, it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Fletcher in 93 playing on, you know, the likes of Stephen Kernahan and whatnot. So, yeah, I thought um, it was probably the real big shining light out of the game for us. Absolutely. We also wanted to look at Shy Bolton at stop forward stoppages. We've, we've, talked, we've talked in previous weeks about defending forward stoppages and I actually think it's something that we have improved. I remember it was something we would bring up a lot in the earlier weeks where we were we were getting found out quite a bit and it's not happening as much this week. And Bolton did kick two goals, but none of them really worth, none of them or any of his scoring shots are really from the stoppage situation. So despite, despite what it looks like in, in terms of that minor thing, it's, it's a little win. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. Forward stoppage is a, is a part of the game that had really hurt us early in the year. And we have tightened that up a lot. I think, um, yeah, I think he might have had one shot that I think from memory got sort of knocked over on the line or got touched. I can't remember exactly now, but um, yeah, but by and large, we, we did a reasonable job in, in that part of the ground. And then I think the other one that, that we were sort of conscious of was how we handled Dusty and um, he didn't have his usual game against us, which was nice. I mean, he didn't need to. They won pretty comfortably without Dusty having a big game, but um, you know, there was some, that, that was a bit of a win there. And, and then I think the last point really was, it was a big fail and, and we wanted to see us really be aggressive with how we move the ball. And we'll talk, we'll talk a little bit, a little bit later about our, the offensive part of our game plan. But I think really, um, we saw a, a good example well, a good negative example of, of how that's falling down at the moment and that connection, um, between our half forwards and our, our midfield or half back really fell away on on Saturday night, and then the last one, which is sort of attached to that, we really wanted to to hold our forwards deep and and force one on ones, even if that meant we we're playing eight on eight. So our wingers follow down or our rucks follow down, and we just didn't do that. We allowed them to, you know, drop one back or drop two back, drop three back, and um and it just made it really easy for them to intercept and rebound. So yeah, that part of the game. You know, for the upside on defensive effort and tackling and those kind of things, uh, ball movement and and forward structure really did fall away pretty severely. It kind of feels at the moment that we can do, we can sort of get one right without the other. Um, we need to find a way to get both the, the offensive and defensive parts of our game working in harmony. Absolutely. And it sort of leads into what we're going to talk about now. Now, we initially planned to do a, a full... Uh, full view of the game plan last week and and what's in, what it's involved and what they're trying to do. And we got through the defensive part and realised that we're already half an hour into the show. So uh, we decided to move the offensive part to this week and it builds on what you spoke about there. Just as a recap for those listening uh, in terms of the defence. So the changes from the defence for the previous year. So in 2021, we were looking to defend the ground deep, which gave, gave the players a bit more margin for error in terms of the defenders. You, you could react a bit more, a bit later and you know you, you had some saving grace there in the back half. This year we're trying to defend higher up the ground, and that requires the midfielders to push back. Now, when it works, it suffocates the opposition ball movement, 
but it requires everything working in unison. So when one piece of that defensive structure falls down, when you're playing that high up the ground, uh, it does fall to pieces. It looks like it's really easy to play through. And so when that that falling down is either usually when the midfielders aren't working back hard enough or the forwards can't slow the ball movement from 50. And so that's when the defence starts to uh, fall apart and becomes easy to break open. And so that's what we got to with the defensive structure. So now we've covered that. Let's look at the offensive game plan. So what do you think? What do you think the offensive game plan is this year? Yeah, this is a tougher one to be honest, mate. So uh, I, I think when you really look for it, you, you can see the changes that we're trying to make in in the way that we're defending the ground, and and it looks like it's a real failure. And uh, you know, it, it, for all intents and purposes, it is. But it's something that we're going to need to do to be able to ultimately compete with the best sides. Um, so, you know, work in progress there. The offensive, because we've just been so bad at it um, and, and we haven't had a lot of examples, it's a, a little bit harder to get a read on. But I think fundamentally, I don't think a lot's changed here. Um, I, I think where this is the one part, probably more than anything, where we're, we're missing out on some of the key pillars to the way that we want to play when we've got the ball. So if you think back to last year, we really... We're a, particularly late in the year, we were able to get some real dominance out of clearance. And to do that, we were really relying on Jake Stringer and, and particularly at centre clearance and his size and his ability to just get on his bike and break things open. So we're a little bit of a one-trick pony um, there and we weren't able to replicate it. And then if you sort of think, okay, no Jake Stringer, who can we maybe put in there who has some similar attributes? He's not quite as... Um, Dynamic explosive. or powerful. Yeah, explosive is probably a better word. Thanks, mate. Um, but Langford's probably the one that you could put in there and, and he hasn't been there either. So I think from that part, we're suffering. And then if you look in, into our forward 50 compared to what we had there last year, obviously Stringer and Langford are, are forward to play mid or mid to play forward. Um, <laughs> it's sort of same, same. But no hooker this year, obviously. Um, no Waller, uh, unfortunately. And they leave big holes for a variety of reasons. One is... I mean, Hooker's great contested mark, as we know. Um, draws the best defender. Waller, Waller is Waller. Um, and, and we all know what he brings to the table. But they, they also add experience. Um, and, and they make other opposition defenders nervous when they're, when they're around Hooker in the air and Waller when the ball's on the ground. Um, and, then, and then no Jones either, um, who I think is a, a really important player to, a, to our forward structure. So... So that's really hurt us. And then the other thing that worked really well for us last year was that sort of move the ball forward when when the ball wasn't in control. So um, when we didn't have the ball in, a, in an uncontested mark or, or handball chain, um, so where the ball was in contest, you would see us move the ball forward pretty much at all costs. So, you know, forward handball, knock it on. Um, and, and just try and get territory and get the ball going our way until we could get it on our terms. That, that's been paired back this year. And I'm not sure whether that's something that the coaches have decided to do or it's just a byproduct of, of having players out um, and, and players out of form. We don't have a, a lot of size around stoppage to, to really be able to, or around contest to make that happen. So, um, so yeah, so, so that's definitely dropped off. Um, but what I'm, what I am confident on is that the game plan's not what we're seeing. I, I don't think what we're seeing is representative of a, either a bad game plan or not having a game plan, as, as I think people like to proclaim. I think what we are really suffering or what we are seeing really is a consequence of, of personnel and, and probably a lack of confidence. Um, and I, I also do, 
agree with the sentiment that we're probably a little bit same-same um, in the midfield as well. So, you know, Merritt, Shield and Parrish as our three key mids, um, which, again, is a different makeup to last year because, you know, Shield was obviously missing for a large part of the year and we had guys like Stringer and Langford again running through there. Um are all pretty similar. Um, I think we have seen an adjustment in Merritt's game. He's moved to sort of a... I don't like using uh, American football um, analogies, but he's he's almost moved to a midfield quarterback kind of role. So we'll see him playing off Parrish a lot and handball receiving. But, you know, fundamentally all three of them are hunters and none of them are particularly good at, at creating space or defending for, for one another. And I don't think that's a an effort or a mindset thing. I just think it's a reality of we've got three guys in there, none of whom are particularly you know big and and imposing. So, um, so yeah, I, I think there there's some roadblocks in the way um, of what we're trying to do. Yeah. So I guess building on that that then is what what are the big challenges in terms of executing the offensive game plan. So we looked at the challenges of executing the defensive. Now let's look at in terms of the offensive game plan. Yeah, I, I think we sort of touched on, touched on it already, but I think there's there seems to be some basic fundamentals of what we're trying to do when we do have the ball. And, and at centre at center bounce, I think we sort of break it into into the three parts. There's you know centre bounce, stoppage, there's stoppages around the ground, and then there's how we use the ball once we, we win possession sort of, you know, in, in a defensive 50 or, or around the ground. So sort of from an intercept situation. Um, at centre bounce, it really is about fast movement and, and deep entry. We haven't been able to do that for the reasons that we, we said. Um, stoppages, we, we're really all about releasing the ball by hand. So that is a part of the ground or part of the game where handball does form part of our offence, but it's not the backwards handball and handball and handball and handball that we've seen. It's it's what we we do when we're successful and we saw it a lot last year where it's one, two, three fast handballs and get the ball into space. Um, so it's releasing handballs rather than that, the sort of panicked handballs that we've seen. And then around the ground, I think what, we, what we're trying to do is set the ground up from a, a, and create a, either a, a releasing handball or an uncontested mark that then allows us to get the ball either get the ball inside into the corridor or release a runner from behind. And we've seen the latter part happen a bit more recently as Redmond's found some form and Hines come back into the side. So it's it's run and gun and carry if we can, but otherwise controlled and constant movement by foot, you know, if, if the opposition are able to set up the ground. So, um, so I think that's what we're trying to do. I think that's the design, but I think that the challenges are, are twofold um, at the moment. And, the first one is is our half-forward connection. So all of those things, apart from the centre bounce part, which is, I, I guess, a, a lot more dynamic and the 6-6-6 six, six, six helps. Um, but our, I think our half-forward connection is really letting us down. And that's not the fault of the guys that are playing there. If you look at it, we've got Perkins, Martin, Hobbs, who have played, what, 30 games, give or take, between them. Um, Martin and Hobbs, first-year players. Perkins, second-year player. And then Guelphie and Francis are the other two that have spent a fair bit of time there. And I think uh, Guelphie in particular has improved a lot this year, but they're both inexperienced as forwards. So when you get, when you're playing a game plan where when you win the ball back from an intercept or even from a kick in and your, your first um, uh, part of your game plan is to secure uncontested possession, 
and then move the ball forward. If you don't have your half forwards working for you, then you really, really do get caught out. And and I think that's what's causing a lot of the slow ball movement that we're seeing. Um, and the other problem that we've got is we've only got one Peter Wright. So in the absence of Jones up until this week, um, and look, he's going to take, you know, five or six weeks to really build up his game again. So um, I don't want to paint him as a, the big white hope. But um, when you only have one Peter Wright, um, he can't be the, the bailout down the line kick as well as be the one that anchors us and spreads our forward line. So when he's deep, he creates space in front of him. But when he's not there, it becomes really easy for opposition defenders to, to drop off. So, yeah, that, that half forward connection falls down. Peter Wright has to get up the ground to try and get a kick. And then it falls down behind him. So that that's number one, our you know number one challenge at the moment. And then I think our number two challenge is just a real lack of confidence. Um, you know, we move when we move the ball the way I think we're we're wanting to do, and it works. Um, it, you know, it works really really well. I think I don't know if it's changed after last week, but correct me if I'm wrong here, Hume, But I think we're number one for scores in the AFL from inside fifties. Or if not number one, we're we're right up there. So uh, when we do get it inside fifty, we're we're not too bad at creating scores. We just, um, yeah, we we just don't seem to have the confidence to take the game on and be aggressive with ball in hand and get it moving fast um, like we were last year. And I don't know whether that I think that's partly not having senior and experienced players around. I think it's partly copying the wax that we copped early in the year. You, um, you know, you brought up an interesting point uh, earlier in the week about the teams that have played both North Melbourne and West Coast versus those that haven't. And, you know, maybe if we, we did have a couple of quick, not easy kills, no games easy, but we, we were able to have a couple more games early on against some teams where we were better matched up against. It might have helped us to, to weigh that... Um, Aid that confidence. But to give a couple of examples of what good looks like, I'm ignoring the Richmond game because there weren't really any. Um, but again, we'll share the links um, to some video edits afterwards. But there was a really good one against the Swans early in the game. Um, in fact, I think it was the first score of the game where Heppel won the ball at halfback. So we got an intercept. And then his first kick was along the line of the centre square. So it was a really aggressive kick. Um, and it wasn't a particularly good one, but it was a it was a dangerous one because it caught the Swans out of position. And then when it came to ground, we, we outnumbered them four to two. So that's the other important thing. When you, when you go um, aggressive and you use corridor, pardon me, you need to have numbers there. And we were able to do that at that point. So when it came to ground, we were able to release the ball out to McGrath. He was able to take off, run and carry. And then right, really smart, led away from Francis. Francis marked and kicked a point. Uh, so it was a real, that really aggressive kick from half back. numbers at the contest, releasing the handball, run and carry, and then our forwards working for one another. So I think that was a really good example of what we're, we're set up to try and achieve. Uh, but it does take confidence and conviction to be able to do it. And maybe that, in part, you know, Dyson Heppel as a senior and experienced player, a bit more prepared to take the risk, whereas maybe someone like... Um, you know, Nick Hind, who's down on confidence or, or whatnot, um, maybe not prepared to do that. So um, so there's that one. And then later in, in again, in the Swans game in, in Q1, um, Cutler won the ball at halfback and, and he was he was playing on the wing at the time. Uh, Merritt was on the other wing. Brian was in the rack. Martin was at half forward. And we won the ball back at halfback because we, we had extra numbers. So, you know, they, they'd worked back well, got extra numbers to the contest and Cutler sort of a bit of a rush kick 
again to a dangerous spot and end up coming back. But because we were set up, we were then able to be aggressive on turnover again. So we had numbers around the ball to be able to work into some space. So, um, and in that example, um, McGrath was able to hit um, a really aggressive kick and hit Martin on the run. So Martin worked from half back to half forward, didn't have to break stride. Um, Merrick came with him. Um, so he was the next one in the chain. Again, right stayed deep. And then it, was, it opened up a pocket of space for Hobbs to lead into. And, and he, I can't remember now, I think he might have kicked a goal. Um, so yeah, a, a couple of examples there of what good looks like. And we'll share those later. But fundamentally, it's a more aggressive ball movement, number of contests, and then um, and then forwards working for one another. And we're just not able to replicate that often enough. Yeah, really, really good insight there. Really good deep dive into that. I think you know how how much how much you can structure offense as opposed to defense. I guess is is a question. And as as you were saying, the idea of confidence plays a huge huge part in it. Being able to take those riskier but more effective uh, kicking opportunities, as you as you're pointing out with with Heppel there. You know, I think plays plays a big part. You know, you look at you look at the best sides and they're, they're taking risks because in part because they. They've got more confidence, but in part they know that they've got the structures behind them in order to, in order to keep themselves safe if something does go wrong. And so I guess that's where it all sort of comes together with what we talked about last week and this week. Yeah, definitely. And then I think you know it has it has a flow up. Of, you know when you when you're not playing with confidence offensively when when you do turn the ball over and things don't go well, I think that has a flow on effect on your reaction time to then set up and defend. So. Um, yeah, I think that confidence part and with a lot of young guys getting caught out is having a big impact. Absolutely. So we're going to, just before we move on to our audience question of the week, we just have a quick opportunity to reflect on Tipper. It was obviously announced uh, after we recorded on last Thursday night and uh, we both posted our our thoughts on, on Twitter there. But I guess just a final thought on, on Tipper. It was great to see him at, at the ground saying goodbye um, to the players and, and being able to be there, you know, for, for the Dreamtime match at the very least was was a good thing. Uh, but what are your what are your thoughts and on the time Tito played with Essendon? Yeah, I, I think it was a real find. You know, that there weren't too many positives that came out of this saga, were there? But you kind of wonder. I mean, you know, he, he was probably good enough and, and had the talent to make it regardless, but. He, he certainly wouldn't have played the number of games he did in 2016 without the players being out. Um, so he was promoted from the rookie list and, and then he play every game in his first year or, or near enough to. So, um, yeah, there was probably, he was probably the, the shining light, I think, through a pretty dark period and, um, and gave us a lot of hope and, and energy and excitement and, and was one that I think brought a lot of young Essendon fans to the footy as well. I know my um, young nephews were and still are big Tipper fans. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a shame that we won't see him don the sash again, mate. But um, hopefully, and more importantly, whatever he does from here, hopefully he finds peace and um, and can go on to, um, yeah, live out whatever happens next for him in a, in a really help, help, um, happy and meaningful way. I think that's, yeah, much more important than uh, kicking a footy around. I mean, he's, he's given us so much. I mean, I think we both we both brought up on Twitter the the North Melbourne goal, which I think a lot of a lot of fans you know think about, and I think we both sort of suggested that we were both sort of in line with that goal. Uh, you know, watching it sail through, and you know, knowing that knowing that it had won the game, and just that he was the he was probably the only sort of person who would be 
able to do that, just the way he pulls off the pack, you know, when Laverde goes and gets the ball just to create space and, and be in that dangerous position. And, you know, we've, we've spoken about it a lot, but we've really missed that that style of player from that perspective. But as you said, you know, you want you want him to be happy with life. And, you know, if, if football was no longer making him happy, then it's, it's the right decision for him. Yeah, spot on that. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll move on to our audience question. You asked during the week, uh, who, what, sort, what player do you owe an apology to? I'm sure um, all the listeners have got uh, one or two players that they wrote off early in their careers uh, that have made them eat, um, made them eat sour grapes there. Um, so you brought up you brought up our uh, our four year uh, signing this uh, four year signing from this week, Kyle Langford. What was your initial impressions of Kyle? Oh, I, my initial impressions of him were actually really strong. I, I, I don't know if anyone remembers his or you remember his first game, but he ran back with a flight and nearly got knocked out in his first game. And um, I think from that moment, you saw um, that we had someone who was uh, really prepared to to have a crack and put their head in front, you know, head over the ball and um, and have a real go. So my initial impressions were, were pretty solid. I think... Um, I probably fell victim to to maybe a little bit of how he was managed um, early doors. He's sort of into the side and then, um, you know, playing as an inside mid and then got dropped and then would come back playing half forward and then get dropped and then come back playing um, on a wing and sort of didn't really get settled into a position. But I think we saw that come 2020 uh, and then into 2021 and we started to see a really um, – a really valuable player for us who could, you, you know, uh, play in a, in a variety of roles, but but really be able to impact around um, the contest and, and be able to impact on the scoreboard. So, yeah, I, I sort of had him pegged as a bit of, you know, one of those players who you see from time to time who could do a few things okay, but not really do anything particularly well and, um, and might have just faded away into the sunset. But he's, yeah, he, he's definitely become a really valuable player and, and um, I saw, you know, some journalists say this week that um, Essendon missing him is a bit of an indictment on Essendon. I think that's really unfair on on the player that he's become over the last two years. There's not many, you know, 190 centimetre uh, mid forwards that can hit the scoreboard as consistently as he can and, and get, you know, mid-20 disposals regularly and use the ball really well. So I think, um, I think yeah, he's become an important cog. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, even... You say mid forward. I, I think he's he's almost the perfect winger. You know, he's not a he's not a he's not a you know a, a break the lines winger, but he, he's a fit winger. Winger who's able to run you know into into the back line, help the defence, and then get forward. You know, he, he's that outlet mark. You know, he's, he's a good kick. You know, he's he's the sort of person you could you could stick on a wing for for five years and and be quite comfortable there. But some of the other ones that were brought up, uh, Ant uh, brought up Brendan Goddard mainly for his leadership. I think. Particularly, particularly now, I think there's a lot of people who would appreciate a bit of a bit more of a you know an angry style leadership or someone someone who looks like that they're gonna you know have you know let someone know on the field that they've they've done the wrong thing. I think that's someone there. Uh, Silvertop Hurls brought up Joe Watson. I think there were a few people writing Joe off at the start. You're you weren't one of them though. I think from what I. No, I I was working full time at the club when we drafted Joe, so I saw him. Um, I guess, you know, playing school footy and then early doors coming in and 
um, those lonely long drives down to um, down to Bendigo in his first year. And there was a uh, – I mentioned this one in, in response to that um, – where he was getting tackled by three guys. So he picked the ball. He was on his knees. He picked the ball up and he was getting tackled by three blokes. He actually stood up in the tackle and got a handball out. And like he was just such – had such a good um, – he's such so powerful, I guess, through his hips and, and and just knew where to get the footy that I just sort of felt as soon as, you know, it was going to click with him. And, um, and it's, yeah, and that's ultimately what happened. He got himself really fit and, and just became, you know, such a good player. So – yeah, I just saw some things that were quite unique, I guess, early doors out at, on those miserable cold Sundays out at Bendigo, mate, that, uh, that um, yeah, told me that he was going to be pretty good. Um, Jaden Laverde got a few mentions, didn't he? Yeah. They got one of those ones where injury sort of, you know, colours people's perception of a player. Although, you know, it's really been that move, that move back that has, that set him light. I think it's... Uh, Ken Fletcher was constantly telling the club that I think uh, Ken had him at uh, pegs and yeah. was telling the club that he was a defender and, you know, they finally listened to him and, you know, he's, he, he's, he's often coming up at the moment because he's, he's got seemingly such a poor one-on-one uh, defensive rate uh, or contest, contest rate at the moment. But, you know, when the ball's coming in as much as it is, I think even Stephen May or, you know, any of the other great, uh, great backs would, would be having trouble with that, so he's just the way he's he's holding together the back line against much bigger, much bigger opponents is, is really impressive. And then uh, a lot of other people, including Ankush, brought up uh, Kale Hooker. Uh, you know, everyone everyone points to the Buddy the Buddy moment, even though he, he keeps up with Buddy the whole way. But you know, just heart and soul play. And as, as you said, we've, we really missed him. You know, this this past year, you know, even if his even if his performances had dropped off. Uh, you know, just just his his effort and his ability to to change a game uh, is is just absent at the moment. Yeah, yeah, spot on, mate. Um, and yeah, good to see Uncle Kevin slash not my real uncle uh, Kevin Walsh get a few mentions as well. So um, yeah, he he was much maligned, but yeah, two time premiership player, mate. Uh, take that. Um, should we have a look at Port? Yeah, well, let's let's go through the selections. Let's go through the selections first then. We'll, we'll start with Essendon's selection. So uh, out for Essendon, Francis been omitted and Cutler uh, omitted. Um, Cutler was, was the sub. Uh, sorry, no, he wasn't the sub. Apologies. Uh, Ryan's also been omitted uh, with Redmond, the suspension, and, and Guelphie, the hamstring, which is a shame for Guelphie because, as you say, he's, somewhat, he's one player that you can really point to as, as having imp- made improvements across this year. So for him to miss out is a bit of a shame. Uh, in is Ridley, Caldwell, Jones. Uh, fantastically, we get to see Jones again uh, for the first time since last year. And then Phillips has come in. So they've kept they've kept those two rucks, uh, which is interesting considering what they're going up against in Port Adelaide, which do- doesn't have the best ruck stocks at the moment. And also the weather forecast isn't looking great. So what are yeah, your thoughts well, on, on the two rucks? Yeah, I wonder whether that might force a light change depending on... on- I think there's going to be rain in the lead up to the game, but then the rain on Sunday might not come till late. So I wonder whether that might force a bit of change. But that aside, I'm not a big fan of the two rucks. I don't think Draper plays his best footy when he's got two. I know he he tires, and and maybe this is just part of his development where they don't want to burn him out. And I know he's he's sort of come into footy a little bit later, but you think of. Um, uh, Josh Fraser at the Pies, like, you know, num- number one draft pick and, and was playing from 18. And then by the time he got to 2080, he was just cooked. So, I don't, you know, maybe they're they're just trying to 
to ease Draper into it a little bit and not burn him out. But uh, yeah, I'm not a massive fan of it. I would have liked to have seen how Francis went in a forward line that had Jones and Wright in it. Cause I do think despite the criticism Francis gets, he's, he's one who is really good at reading the play and providing space or blocking for teammates. So I also think, you know, drawing a third defender um, and he's hit the scoreboard the last three weeks as well. So um, yeah, I, I would have liked to have seen that happen, but, and then, you know, is there any reason he couldn't have been our second ruck against Finless and like, you know, similar size, um, you know, Francis has got a good leap on him. Um, and, and obviously he's, you know, a, a pretty good runner as well. So, uh, yeah, not a big fan of it, but it is what it is. And then Port Adelaide brought Dixon and Bonner in for Georgiades and, and young Lachlan Jones. Uh, so they've basically gone like for like, haven't they? I, I don't mind the Dixon for Georgiades one. I, I think we're better equipped to, and again, I might be um, eating these words after the game when Dixon kicks 45, but um, we're better equipped to, to, I think, stop those big straight leading forwards than we are the more dynamic um, sort of key forwards like Georgiades is. And, you know, even last week we, we sort of did a better job on Lynch than we did to Rewald. And, you know, Dixon probably plays more like Lynch. Rewald's a bit more like Georgiades, runs the angles better, etc. So, yeah, if I was coaching Port, I would have played both of them. Um, so I'm, I'm not too um, upset about that one. And then Bonner um, and Jones are pretty much like for like sort of mid-sized defenders. Uh, Bonner's probably a better runner and, and user and can push into the midfield, whereas I think Jones is, you know, probably more suited to, to playing on a man and, and man-on-man defence, and we don't have really that that mid-size forward, that marking strong marking forward that he would normally play on. So, so yeah, it probably makes sense. Absolutely. So let's let's do a bit of a deep dive into Port Adelaide. So they're currently... Sorry, they're currently four and six, so four wins and six losses. They did start zero and five, so it has been quite a good recovery from them. Uh, those first those first five losses did include three of the top four, so Melbourne, Brisbane, and Carlton. So that does suggest, you know, maybe they are in a better spot than they uh, their ladder position otherwise suggests. Although uh, their their wins haven't been overly impressive. They did beat St Kilda, which which is quite a good win. Although it was in atrocious conditions, I don't know how much you can read into it into a game in Cairns where the, no one seemed to be able to grip the ball or kick straight. Um, so I, when I when I did a dive into the stats, you know, and that's one of the things I like to do is you, you look at changes between the years, you know, see if they reflect any anything that's changed. And I I found it to be very similar. So there were similar in clearances, kick to handball ratio was similar, tackles were similar, um, and generating the same amount of scoring shots, although they were slightly less accurate. And so then when I went into a deeper dive, and I sort of posted about this on Twitter uh, earlier in this week, they one of the only couple of t- sides that have played both West Coast and North. And one of the things that happens when you've got two quite poor teams, and West Coast and North are historically poor this year, They're, their percentages are in the low 50s. Now, we haven't had two sides in the low 50s percentage since 2013, which I think was Gold Coast and Carlton. You know, when you when your percentage is in the fifties, basically your opponents are twice as good as you, so they're they're, they're half as good as the teams that they're they're playing against. And so what that can do is that can actually throw some stats out of whack, particularly at this point of the year. So I, I don't know how many uh, how many cricket fans we have listening, um, but if you listen to anyone trying to talk about Warren versus Murali, one of the things they've used to put Murali down was he played a lot of cricket against Zimbabwe 
and Bangladesh. And so you'd have often see a lot of uh, Murali stats without, you know, playing against those two sides because they were so dire at that stage um, of cricket. And so that's what I did. I took West Coast and North North stats out of ports, which I thought would give a better reflection of where they're at. So actually, when you when you do take those out down, they are down in a few key areas. So they're, they're down marks uh, inside 52 per game. They're down 15 in contested possessions and they're down four in inside 50s and tackle down three tackles a game. So not huge differences, but particularly when they played uh, strong sides at the start of the year, that's those sort of drops against the better sides uh, can play a big part in their in their results and, and dropping off there. And there's also just the fact, you know, they're one of those clubs that have been up for a while you know, eventually, when you when you go to the well so so many times, eventually it becomes more difficult to do do the same things over and over again when you're not getting the improved results. It's you know sometimes it's easy after one year you make you go far in the finals, you, you make it close and you think right you know one more big effort and and we'll be able to push through. When that doesn't happen after a couple of tries, it can start to become uh, disconcerting and, and the voices that you're hearing you know don't have the same impact than they otherwise would. So I guess what are your thoughts about uh, Port? And you, you looked into the Geelong game uh, a bit close, a bit closer than I did. Yeah, um, I I wasn't sure with the the Murley, um, and comparison there, mate. Whether you were going to use that as an opportunity to cross promote the uh, your other podcast. I think you've missed a, a perfect chance there to um, to drop that in. So um, yeah, um, the the marketer in me is a bit disappointed you didn't take that. But yeah, it, it's. It's interesting, isn't it, the uh, the fixture here for teams that are sort of playing down the ladder. You look at Hawthorne, who were, you know, lost to us, get slammed, beat the Lions, all of a sudden, you know, everyone's talking up finals for the Hawks. And I think when you've got developing sides, the truth is always in the middle, isn't it? You're just going to have games where you're up and down. And you kind of wonder whether the pressure, had we been... Uh, you know, have played West Coast and North and got two extra wins on the board in their first 10 weeks and, and maybe sitting, you know, on four wins instead of instead of the two, um, whether we might be playing with a bit more confidence and be a bit more competitive. But, yeah, I did watch um, I watched their game on, on Saturday against the Cats. There wasn't a lot to take out of it. It was a pretty ordinary game, to be honest. Um, Port only kicked the seven goals and, and really struggled for any real momentum throughout the game. Um Cats had 27 scoring shots to 12, so it, it should have been a, a much bigger win to Geelong, really. Um, Geelong got on top of clearances early, won the first 10, actually, um, but didn't weren't really able to con- convert. Port ended up kicking the first couple of the goals, but after that, it was kind of really all Geelong. I think they were 3-6 at quarter time, and then were just able to do enough in each quarter to kind of extend it by a goal here and a goal there. Um, so, yeah, they sort of just did enough to, to be good enough to win it. Um, Porter, a good clearance team without being great. Um, so they're fifth in in total clearance wins, but they're only, fifth in the AFL, but they're only plus one and a half or 1.3 per game um, over the course of the season um, in terms of differential against their opponents. Um, and you see in their losses, it's a part of the ground, a part of the game that they really drop off in. So, um, so yeah, so they're good without being great, but they do have some really strong bodies around the ball. Um, Boak and Wines, you know, everyone would be familiar with. Uh, Drew's becoming a really good player in and around the contest as well. Um, probably someone that people might not be as familiar with. 
but pressure on the balls, they're, they're real MO. It's, it's been the thing that has got them going. Um, all of those guys are good tacklers, but then you throw in Amon and Butters and on the wing, Pal, Pal Pepper is a high half forward. They're all really good tacklers as well. And that's typically how they generate a lot of their scores um, through that sort of, yeah, pressure on the ball, creating turnover. Um, so leading into the Geelong game, they were plus 39 points per game from turnovers over the last month. And then they're a bit of a keepings offside when they've got it, um, but they're not a station. They're not stationary when they do it. So they like to kick mark and then play on and then kick again. Um, so whilst we're a team that you know all things going well tries to get a bit more in, inside the corridor, Porter more likely to go wide and around the boundary, um, and you get a sense that lately and part of their improvement has been them trying to get the ball inside fifty more often. Um, and, you know, maybe not having Dixon has played a bit of a part in that as well. So they're 11th um, in the AFL for inside 50s at 52 a game, whereas where, you know, it's been a, a part of the game that we haven't been great at and we're only two inside 50s a game behind them. So, um, yeah, it says a little bit about, about their ball movement, I think, um, and maybe an area where, as a side who, as we've talked about the last two weeks, is trying to defend higher up the ground, um, but have been caught out by teams that do move the ball fast. It'll be interesting to see whether Hinkley does encourage them to really take us on or they fall into more habits and we're able to actually put um, that into play and, and see some um, see some real benefit from it and create turnovers up the ground. They do have a pretty solid and well-settled back line as well. So um, Jonas and Clary in, in key spots, Aaliyah who can either play on a man or intercept and likewise Dan Houston's become a really, really good player. And then they've got some good ball users in Burn Jones and, and Ryan Burton as well. So, um, so yeah, they're, they're an interesting one. They're, they're a hard one to, to fully get a read on. I think we'll probably know more about where Porter at truly, um, you know, by the time we get to sort of round 15 or 16 and, and they've played a, a broader mix of teams. Uh, I think some of the players to look out for, um, Carl Amon obviously got dropped earlier in the year, um, but has been in some pretty good form. He's often their exit point from stoppages. So um, he's one that, that really does a good job of connecting um, their half back to their half forward line. So he's someone I think we should put some time into. If we can limit his effectiveness, I think we can limit Port's ability to get real clean looks inside 50. But I also think he's a player that we can hurt when we have the ball. He's not a bad tackler when it's in his area, but he's not necessarily a great um, defensive runner um, and probably a big part of the reason why he got dropped. Um, Kane Farrell's a guy who's been around for a few years, only played sort of 30-odd games. I think he's come back from an ACL, but he's a guy who's uh, one of those small forwards slash mids who can get on top of us. He's got a really good left foot. So he's someone, uh, the profile of player that has worried us this year. Um, and then Rosie's sort of changing up his game um, from what we've seen in previous years. And he's getting into the center clearance more. Um, I think he's fifth in the AFL for um, win percentage when he goes into the middle, sort of playing a little bit like a Stringer role. He's not as big and powerful as, as Jake Stringer, but really dynamic in the middle and gives them something different in there. Um, he sort of only goes in eight or nine times a game, but when he does, um, he's really effective at winning clearances. So we'll need to be mindful of that as well when, when he's in there. Absolutely. So moving on to the, to the match itself, obviously, you know, fingers fingers crossed it's not as wet as, as it's proposed to be, but you've highlighted three key things that you would you would like Essendon to do. Uh, what are those three things? 
Yeah, I, I think we need to be really fierce at the contest um, this week. And it, it starts in stoppages, obviously. Um, as I said, Porter, a reasonable clearance side. But I think they're much stronger than us on the outside. They've got much better distributors and ball users than we have at the moment. Um, and, and much more experience in those parts of the ground. You know, Burn Jones and Burton, um, Amon, et cetera, have been around for a lot longer than, you know, Martin and um, and Durham and the likes for us. So I think it, if we're not competitive at the contest and we're not at worst breaking even, but I think we need to go beyond that and actually win contested ball and win clearances by a margin, then I, I can see this getting a little bit ugly for us if, if we allow them to get lots of, good use on the outside. So number one is just needing to be really fierce at the contest and, and winning our fair share of it. Um, I think fast exits are going to be important. It's a, a real shame that um, Redmond's rubbed out uh, this week because he's hit some really good form and Hind's starting to find his mojo a little bit as well. So we're going to need Hind at his best. Hopefully, you know, McGrath goes back with Caldwell back inside. Um, and we can get some run from him. But I'd really like to see us get some fast exits. I don't think Porter, they're okay, but they're not a great side at, at forward 50 pressure. Um, and Dixon coming back probably doesn't help that either. Um, so, yeah, I, I really hope that we take take it on when we're exiting from half back and really try and, you know, it's hard to run and bounce and carry, et cetera, when it's raining. So if that's not the case, um, then, yeah, really, really run the ball out. But... Um, if it is, then we just need to take, if it is wet, that is, we just need to take territory and, and, and move the ball forward pretty much at all costs, create man on man around the ground and, and really move the ball forward. And then the third one is I'd, I'd lock down on Dan Houston. Um, he's not your typical tall intercepting defender. I think he's, you know, 185, 196 centimetres. Um, and I know Alir Alir is probably the one that most people would think um, is the most dangerous there and, and that we should stop. But I think um, Dan Houston's not far behind him in the air and, and intercepts. So um, he's third at port for disposals. He's second for intercepts behind Alir Alir. And he's, he's sixth for rebound 50s and fifth for inside 50s. So he really does work both ways and, and connects them really well. So... Um, yeah, he, he's one that I think we should lock down on. I, I don't know who the right matchup is. You you would have thought um, Guelphie, had he been playing, would have been a really good one to do that. It, it might be Hobbs um, or Caldwell when they're playing forward, put some time into him. Um, but yeah, he's one that I think we need to make sure has an opponent at all times and we don't let him... Um, uh, you know, get too much of the ball, and I think if we can take a, take him out of the contest, then um, then it gives us a big advantage. Absolutely. So we'll be obviously keeping an eye on those three things, seeing seeing if that's how it plays out, and then we'll obviously review it uh, at the start of next week. So moving on to our, our final thoughts, uh, and the final thought for this week is who at Essendon is most looking forward to the buy. Jono, who's who do you think is most looking forward to the bye? <laughs> yeah, I think the fans, mate. I think um, I think we're all looking forward to a little bit of a break. Hopefully, we can hit the bye with a win and and have something to hold on to. But yeah, I think it's a it's a good chance for all of us to take a bit of a breath. What about you, mate? Uh, I think Rutten's probably looking forward to the bye the most. I think getting a chance to ref- to take some space and, and reflect on on how the start of the year's gone away from, you know, when, when you're in your bye week, you're away from the media's gaze, particularly now with the mid-season draft, that'll take a lot of attention away. You know, the, the sort of clickbaity 
articles won't get written as much uh, during the buy and during the mid-season draft. So they'll have a bit more of a, a chance to think about uh, what hasn't been working and, and what changes they can make moving forward. Yeah, good call, mate. Good call. So we, we will um, get the brains trust together during the, the buy and um, and have a bit of a chat if there's anything that anybody wants us to look at or talk about in particular then um then yeah send us a message and and we'll happy to to put it up but we'll do a bit of a a mid-season review i guess and um and maybe look at some of the things we'd like to see play out in the second half of the year um and then if there are any cricket fans mate who without the bombers playing next week are looking to kill some time um and are interested in a new podcast here's your chance to give yourself a bit of a plug all right, I'll give it a little plug. It's called Endless Summers. It's looking at the Test Cricket history of Australia. Uh, each episode is looking at a season, um, a series, uh, starting from the first one in 1876-77. So uh, I'm getting close to the end of the first season. Uh, so it's in my Twitter, Twitter bio uh, there. So if you are interested, uh, give it a listen. Yeah, definitely worthwhile, mate. It's a, You do a really good job. And uh, for any cricket nuffies like myself it's um it's good fun but yeah let's uh let's hope we can hit the bye with the win mate thanks again um for this week glad you you got yourself out of the uh the man flu bed and uh you're on the men mate and let's hope we can get a win on sunday absolutely go dons cheers mate bye